Welcome, I'm Brett Bradigan with the Ojai Talk of the Town podcast. This episode is produced with the help of the talented Dylan Petrucci of Old School Beats. We have a very wide-ranging conversation with the very talented Tim Arlon, better known by his stage name of T.D. Lind. In the ancient days of yore, all the way back in 2019, Tim and his old bandmate, Screamin' John, got together with legendary producer Glenn Johns to come out with a critically acclaimed blues album, Mr. Little Big Man. Tim is also the Grove Manager of Ojai Olive Oil and comes from a family which is well established in the arts. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Arlon. Hey! Thanks for joining me. Yes! We we did it! That didn't take long, only... 20 yeah. minutes for me to figure out how to use an iPhone. Well, like I often remind myself, you got to send a packet of electronic data into outer space and back. Oh, my so God. it helps helps to be a, a little patient. It's like that, you know, comedian Louis C.K. had that great bit. It was like, everything's amazing. Nobody's happy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you'd, you'd think during these times we would have all learned to be a bit more patient, but I suppose, <laughs> you know, with along with that comes a huge amount of frustration. But anyway, <laughs> True. we are here. All right, sir. I wanted to check in with you because you have, well, one, you worked with the greatest producer of, of all time. I feel somewhat safe in saying that. I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. of legends out there of the Bill Spector variety, but Glenn Johns is like the name. And oh, goodness gracious. Can you tell us a little bit about the album, the name, and how it all came together? And Yeah, sure. Um, I used to be in, uh, I used to have a band back in the, in the early 90s, uh, actually mid-90s in Kentucky called Eden Street. And um, the lead guitar player in the band, Screaming John, um, we, uh, we went through many uh, iterations many recordings and many gigs together i was there for 10 years anyway let's move moving forward back into uh 2017 uh he called me up and said look i'm going to do a blues record and um you know i'd love you to be the singer on it and and i've seen him over the years i've I've, you know visited louisville just to see friends and see you know um just to go back and visit but didn't do any music and so uh he was like, yeah, I'm going to do this record and I want you to be the singer. And it's the old band. It's Paul Culligan on drums, Jeff Crane on bass. And this time we're going to add uh, Joel Pinkerton on harmonica. So we cut that record in 2017 and it did great. It was called Give Me More Time. Um, and we did it in two days, which is the way I like to record. It's just live. So anyway, in 2019, he called me up and he said, listen, we, we want to do another one. Um, and it's on a, a record company called Down in the Alley Records, which unfortunately unfortunately five days ago closed down five days uh, ago five days ago yeah oh, but that's it um you know so in 2019 calls up we're going to do another one and and i i've i've known glenn for years uh him and my father have worked together for over 30 years um and so at this moment i'm i'm like you know who's gonna who's producing and they said well we don't know and I've always wanted Glenn to produce a record of mine, but I've never had the guts to ask him. Now that I'm at the age that I am, and you know, it's a blues record, and I, I couldn't think of anybody I would rather go in the studio with. So I called him up and I said, listen, Glenn, um, you remember the last record that we did, and I know how much you loved it. Well, 
you know, we're doing another record. Um, and I would love it if you would be the producer. Is there any opportunity? Is that, would that ever happen? And um, he said, are you kidding? I've been waiting 30 years for you to ask me. <laughs> oh, my, my goodness. No, I'm like, really? That's, that's, that's what's taken so long? He's like, what do you mean? I've, all, I've, I've never said it to you, but I've mentioned it to friends, you know, your friends around you, your family, that I, I would always love to do a record. And I guess I had heard it, but I didn't really believe it. I just yeah. thought it was a nice, a nice gesture that he would say. Anyway, so we, um, yeah, we got the studio back in, in Louisville, Kentucky and, and turned up and I wrote a bunch of songs for the record and there were already a, a bunch of covers that we wanted to do. And we rehearsed for about four hours the day before. And the next day we went straight in, in, in the studio and he set up the way that the famous Glyn John set up, which was wonderful to see. Um, and we recorded the record in two days. Um, oh, and Mick, and he mixed it in, the, in the, the last part of the second day and we cut it live. We just did the songs as many times as it took until we got them right, which was and this is you and Screamin' John and... Yeah, and uh, Jeff Crane on bass, uh, Paul Culligan on drums, and Joel Pinkerton on harmonica. And this and, is uh, your usual your usual bandmates. Yeah, I mean, this, these are the guys that, you know, obviously were in the band back in the 90s with me in, in Kentucky, and the new guy is Joel Pinkerton, who's uh, this amazing old-time harmonica player. Um, and the record is called Mr. Little Big Man. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's on down in the alley records. I, I think you can get it on iTunes and it's, I believe it's on Spotify. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm looking at it on Spotify right now. Oh, you are. Okay, yeah. cool. And then, um, and then, yeah, we will, you know, it's done, it's done great. We did a couple of gigs. Uh, we did the October, uh, blues festival in, in Louisville, the garden gate, uh, uh, blues festival, which was fantastic, which uh, happens every October. Um, and so we played that, which was great. We did it a couple of years before as well with the with the, the first record. And um and so it was released. When was it released? It was yeah, it was actually released in October of 2019. And we've been in the charts, in the blues charts, uh, ever since. That's that's um, amazing. So you didn't is, really have much chance to get out there on the road and promote the no, record as typical no, typically you know, done. Yeah. It, well, and, you know, timing is everything. We were, we actually made it into the top five, uh, the independent, uh, the I, what is it called? The IMA's independent music awards, blues category. We got in, we were the five in the five top nominations. Um, we didn't win, unfortunately, but you know, that was in, it was, an, uh, it was announced in March and then this all happened. So, you know, we were ready to go out on the road and promote the success of, you know, being in the charts and also getting into the top five nominations. And uh, and and then COVID happened. <laughs> sure did. So, you know, um, but it's still, you know, it's it's still it's it's out there. It's being played. It's it's getting some coverage. So you know, all in all, yeah. we're proud of it. It happened. Get to work with Glenn Johns was just ridiculous. He's such a love, um, and he's mm -hmm. amazing. What was this process like? I mean, you. Didn't well, have, never had a chance to work with him before, but you must have known a lot. And what was your expectation versus your reality? Well, actually, Brett, when I was when I was nineteen, I worked with him in a studio in LA. Um, he he took me on board so that um, I could 
you know, get experience in the studio. I was making coffee and, and, and you yeah, know, whatever. Just ha- happy to be there. Yeah, yeah totally. And um, more, more cowbell. Yeah, exactly. Right. And um, so I witnessed it. I mean, I was 19 at the, at the time. I mean, you know, he was, uh, I, di- I didn't know him as well, obviously, at that point. So I was very quiet and just sitting in the background and, you know, watching how he was doing it. But he, the way that he worked then is very similar to the way that he worked with us, which was, you know, he'll only take on um, a, pr- a production job if he if he likes the songs and if he likes the band. If he thinks the band can cut it and do their jobs properly, then he's interested. So for us, it very much was the same as it was when I was 19. Um, it was, okay, let's listen to the songs. Let's make some arrangement changes, possibly. Why don't we try this? Why don't we try that? And then when you get into the studio, it's, all right, let's set up, get some everyone familiar with their sounds, get your ear, you know, your... Uh, your oh earphones you know get that all in 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 a good place so that you can play and feel comfortable and then and then play the song and that was that was the process it was like okay one two three go and then hope that you do a great job (laughs) and then if you don't you know he'll say listen you know that was a bit quick or this bit could change a bit let's try it again maybe slow it down a bit so by the fourth take you know, you've, you've nailed it. it. You might do a fifth take, but normally the first take was to get the jitters out. Second take, you kind of, you know, it feels good, but there might be a mistake. Third take, you're kind of nailing it. Fourth take. So, you know, I think most of the songs, they were between, you know, two and five takes, I would think. Um, I think there were a couple that we nailed on the first one, um, which is rare, but I think that was the second day once we'd all got over the Glyn John's glitter, uh, jitters, yeah. you know, just the fact that, that he was there. But he's also such a, such a respectful, loving man. I mean, you know, he, you know, when you, when you're there and you've, and you, you've done it, he's the first one to come out and go, Hey, gents, that was fantastic. That was brilliant. You, but da, 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 come in and listen. Oh my and, you know, that must feel just, something. Oh, that must be such a feeling. Are you kidding? Oh my goodness! I I take that every day, Brett. If I could, <laughs> yeah, it's like a drug. Yeah, yeah. Well, good for you, mate. That's really impressive. Yeah, it was so. Um, yeah, you're a working musician. You've you've. Uh, I mean, you've, we can talk about some of your other hustles, mm. but you've been in uh, life a long, long time, huh? Now, Seamus yeah. Morrison, who I don't. It took me a second to figure out that that's james's son and yeah i know james he's a great not oh, just a wonderful. great actor but a wonderful human being he is and, a, and his son i didn't know you know what to expect from him i get unsolicited submissions from time to time yeah um i've seen you play i've heard you play i've seen you around town i know you're mm-hmm. very talented very very happy to get well, the story you. but i didn't even make the connection that glenn johns was producing that record until right. he turned in the story yeah and then i'm like oh my goodness wow that's right here in a little ojai hooking up to you know everyone the stones the who the whole history of british rock and roll right back yeah. to the absolutely yeah no and and and, and Seamus's uh, article was lovely and he's such a talented man he's a he is an amazing talent um he's a credible poet um and an absolute sweetheart which isn't surprising because his dad and mom are uh, absolutely gorgeous so yeah well i'm glad it all came together i'm happy, happy to have that grace our pages no, thank but you. um yeah i just wondering what what is it like in the music industry now everything has 
changed Ooh. so much since, I mean, you would have seen it. You would have seen yeah. the difference. I mean, there is like, you look at these charts of how the music industry revenues, I think we're artificially inflated by everybody changing over their catalogs to CDs mm-hmm. back in the early mid eighties on. Yeah. So it was like a, you know, falling from a height that was bound to fall anyway, but sales nobody's going to pay for something they get for free we're, we're well and that, that. Yeah, that's a, it is a major part you know of of the issue when you start dealing uh out your music and just saying you know you can have it for next to nothing you know there's a lot of there's a lot of artists out there and i re- see i remember you know when i when i was back in england for a short stint it's when madonna released an album in one of the newspapers i don't remember which newspaper it was but there was a free d uh, a free cd inside so you bought the paper you got the cd and i i remember thinking holy crap i mean that's fine for her to be able to do that because made the impact she's she's fine you know she's madonna she's and she's gonna sell out she's, stadiums she, well yeah, yeah she's and she's make just a like, fortune on the road yeah, she's, you know, she's put in her time. It's not like, oh, she's doing a, a, you know, a fast one. You know, she deserves everything that she gets. Um, but at the same time, what I was thinking is, okay, well, if you start that precedent, what hope do the rest of us have as in trying to get to sell their CD? You know, you start that, then everyone wants something for free. Um, and, and, but uh, you know what, Brett, at the same time, there was a lot of music and there was a lot of albums that were coming out and it's, it was when you had when you when you could only buy a record. You could only buy an album. You couldn't buy a single necessarily. Yeah. And the problem was there was a, there was an amazing amount of albums out there that had no content. You know, there was one song which you which was the hit. Of course. And then you bought the record, and then you're listening to eight crappy songs with one that you love, and you're like, why did I just spend ten bucks? So, you know, th- there is a counter to to some of this. You know, I can understand why people felt that okay, I, I really want to pay for what I want, not what you're trying to sell me. Yeah. Um, well, so, that was the first iteration with iPods in 2003, mm-hmm. 2004. I think Napster was already on the scene then, although it was, it definitely you know, was. The, the impact had, had not been felt. That was just uh, teenagers mostly that were sophisticated enough and yeah, and they hadn't had you know the moral instruction or whatever it takes. I, I think it's a moral hazard to get stuff for free um, because everybody's going to do it. It's just like yeah. yeah, you know. At the same time, though, you remember. I mean, I remember being at school, and you know, and it was tapes, and you had the two tape deck, you know, and so oh yeah, of course, you yeah. know, bootleg I mean, tapes, been, you know, like the yeah, you know, we've all been the, party to it, it at a certain problem, but 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 you did have to buy the original one to then make a copy to give to your friends, you know? Um, yeah. You know, so I think <clears throat> it swings and roundabouts, but at the moment what's happening, uh, especially with the virus and the, you know, the, the non-ability to play in front of an audience is, you know, is really damaging. Um, you know, that's not an industry fault. Uh, that's just uh, life as it is right now. And hopefully it'll, it'll, it'll change and it'll get better and we'll, get to be back on stage soon i hope but you know a, a lot of you know for a lot of us that play roots music that play blues folk uh jazz rock and roll you know a, a huge part of your life is playing 
um, it is life. Of course, it's not, it's not it's that that experience. That's completely it is right in our DNA as, as yeah. human beings. You can find bone whistles and Neanderthals from one hundred and fifty thousand yeah. years ago. No, and and you know, also with everything with Spotify and the streaming, you know, you're not getting paid anything for your for for what you're doing. So the revenue, your 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 ending revenue, really is playing live. That is your livelihood. Um, yeah, because you have you know a hundred million trillion hits on one thing to get you know five dollars. So yeah, you know, so to not have that available to any artist at the moment, and and this goes for anybody out there you know it's not just music it's it's a lot it's the same for a lot of uh you know entertainment arts people you know theater um acting uh, you know it, it, it's 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 the same for for a lot of people not to be able to to go out sure. there and show what you do it's, have you uh seen any successful pivots or heard of any yeah I, i'm gonna sound really dumb and say what is a pivot Oh, somebody that successfully made the transition to the Zoom era and managing to yeah. build an audience without, yeah, without there, the there one-on-one, the live yeah, there are some, Yeah, there are some cats that have done it. Um, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, Brett, I don't really watch uh, streams. I, 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 You know, I, I see them come up, a, a couple of them I, I will take a fancy to, but where I live, I really don't have signals, so it's really difficult for me to even do that um and but i'm sure there are people that have got it down what what i find frustrating too and 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 this isn't a dig at anyone that's doing it is when i have watched the odd one i find a lot of artists spend more time looking at the comments than giving a show you know and which which is kind of funny because when you're at a concert you don't pick out an individual person you know an individual in the crowd go oh hey oh thanks for that comment you know it, it it's almost like heckling, <laughs> you know, you're going to have a, a, a conversation with the audience instead of, you know, playing a gig and, 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 and putting on a show. So, you know, I, I tried it a couple of times, but the, the signal kept dropping and then I just left it. Um, yeah, you know, I'm not computer savvy. I'm not the best at it. So, um, I'll wait. Are you still playing? Are you still uh, writing new material? Um, Are you I'm, keeping yeah. your, uh, um, I've, done something you know i'm I'm working with uh danny mcgore um and we're we're putting together a uh an album i can't really get into it because it's kind of a secret thing but it's it's really going well Ooh, it's secret be, project it's going to be fantastic um untitled T. yeah Lynn, moment, danny mcgore project yeah it'll be uh i think it'll it'll blow your mind hopefully in the, in a good way um yeah. so i've been working on that you know and then i've done a couple of sessions where i've gone in and played uh you know, piano and B3 for a couple of uh, bands, which has been great. Wait a minute, B3? Uh, Hammond Organ. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Nice. So um, done a couple of those, which is, you know, which was fantastic. You know, still slightly odd because you're all socially distanced and and, and uh, for the obvious reasons, but it, it was great just to be in music again, to, to get to play. And even to get to feel the presence of a crowd. I'm yeah, sure get, yeah. And, you know, like be this. in the studio and, and, you know, hear new music and then figure out, okay, what do I bring to this, you know? So, um, so, you know, I, you know, I've done, I've done a couple of things, um, but honestly, and it's the same as it was before. I mean, for the last six years, I've been, um, you know, I'm the manager at the Ohio Olive Grove. So I've got 40 acres to look after 2000 trees. 
um, and that's just the olives. So my day, well, let's uh, my let's day talk about before. about your day job, and then uh, we'll go back to the music and how you got into business, and maybe some of your influences and such. Sure. But how, how did you end up with the Grove manager job um, with uh, well, the Asquist, right? That's, yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. Well, we, my family and I spent about three years in France. Um, I went. We went there. I was uh, got a record deal to take me out to France and um within the first year of being there the record company uh folded um Str- left you stranded uh. yeah so we were out there and I'm not saying it was a bad thing it was wonderful we had the most incredible three years living in a, in a you know village of 800 people in the mountains um in the south of France and yeah, the Pyrenees down, yeah down in the south and um you know I've, I've been a landscaper for many many years um so I you know did that to the capability counter. brown of Ohio. <laughs> right. So, you know, I got into that to counter the the lack of, you know, the, the music, the record deal. Um, ended up working for a lovely couple and looking after their property and uh, had a lot to do with olives. And I was working with arborists and, and uh, tree crews with um, landscaping in, 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 in sight, but it was a lot of tree care. And ended up working a lot with olives. And so when we came back, when we made the decision to come back, um, I was walking through the the Sunday market and I heard Alice um, speaking French. And because so I, I, I speak French, I went up and realized that, you know, she was selling extra virgin olive oil. And and I went up and spoke French to her. And I, and I basically said, you know, I'm a, a an olive pruner, um, an olive arborist. If you ever, you know, need my services, please, you know, hit me up and she invited me to go out to the grove and um you know the trees did need um quite a bit of help um and through a couple of months of talking back and forth um they hired me and i pruned all 2000 trees and um ever since i've done that i've remained there looking after the whole grove um and milling and making the oil with uh with the boss uh philip who's a lovely lovely guy who owns it now and um yeah. yeah it's 40 acres of uh, and some old trees right weren't they planted 100 years ago yeah, they're about that, even though even all even longer yeah the, the, the oldest ones i think are about 180 years old but you know as far as an olive they get to 5,000 years old so they're still pretty young for an olive but they're beautiful old trees and we do you know tours under the old trees and i, I love it i mean i'm out in nature the whole time um and we got chickens and yeah. different nurseries and and actually uh, this is kind of a, a side story but I was w- woken up at two in the morning the other the other day and uh, this crashing sound and I don't have any lights on outside so I grab my torch and I shine it through the the window the bedroom window and there's a two hundred and fifty pound black bear staring back at me about a foot from my face uh, with two cars there's a lot of them yeah Ohio is you know the avocados are the, exactly the well main we have attraction. we have avocados too so they come for those but it was quite sweet there were two cubs one was giving a good old scratch on our day bed and the other one was messing around outside so i, I went out with opened the door and ran out there with some pots and pans and they and they left but it was it was kind of a shocking wake-up call to see this oh my goodness this yes. staring back at me but i love it no being yeah. in the grove is, is uh it's it's been an amazing amazing time living in the mountains and working working here in Ohio. yeah olives are really fascinating to me because cork and just the oil was like the standard of trade for the mediterranean absolutely and the romans and mm-hmm. 
And those trees that those Romans were feasting on, you know, 25, 2,000 years ago oh, or yeah. whatever, they're, they're still fruiting. Isn't that right? Oh, God, absolutely. Just, no, no. Some of the, you know, I think the oldest tree is close to 5,000 years old and it'll still produce as long as you prune it. That's why pruning is so essential with olive trees. Um, no, they'll, they'll keep fruiting. Um, and, uh, and how does that change? Is there like a terroir or any well, you know, particular the, the, uh, characteristics that, that emerge over time? Or are they well, a lot of much set in their DNA? It's, you know, it is to do with the terroir, but, you know, at the same time, you know, for a, for a tree to fruit, especially those old, old trees, I, I used to prune a lot of those in France, a couple of, you know, 1,500-year-old trees, and I think maybe an even a 2,000-year-old tree on the property. And it was all about just making sure the nutrients get to um, to the fruit and to the, the, the extremities of the olive. And that's why in Europe, you don't find a huge amount of very tall olive trees. They prune them right back down. So the the tree isn't exuding so much energy to, to take it 30 or 40 feet into the air. It's, it's maximum maybe 15 or 20 feet. Um, and that's why you choose your limbs uh, precisely so that there's only about four to five main limbs and off those then you that's where you get your fruit and that's how you create the you structure try to get them knowledge. spread out more horizontally exactly you know it's all, it's all about the goblet you know the uh, the idea um and also they self-enter the so yeah there's, there's a lot to do with it and it's it's fascinating and then you know when it comes to harvest time it's it's full on you know last year we had a bumper crop and it was 25 days of milling and each day is about 18 to 20 hours long um, yeah. you know and you're lifting four tons a day uh so it's it's a lot of work um but the oil speaks for itself i mean we're we're yeah. very proud of our product and it is it's unfiltered it's bottled it's made right there uh, and it's rich and fruity i've, I've definitely oh yes. i give it for gifts all the time oh, people absolutely. want to taste Taste of Ojai. It's so good. Perfect. Some Ojai olive oil. Yeah. No, no, it's. it's yeah. Good. I was in, uh, when I was in the service, I was stationed in England. We can talk about that if it comes up. I was there for almost four years. Wow. But we were touring Jerez de la Frontera and uh, south of Spain, Andalusia region. And uh, they have a lot of, you know, it's not just the sherry that Jerez is famous for, it's their olives. Right. And when you, when you press these, Olives on these old wooden presses, the oil that comes out is just unbelievably richly flavored and it's warm. It comes out warm, oh, I think, from the from the friction yeah, of the absolutely. pressing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean and you just there exactly. you soak it up with a piece of crusty bread. Exactly. There's like nothing better. Exactly. I mean, and that that is one of the that's one of the wonders of, of actually working in olive oil is when you get that first fresh olive oil that comes out. Oh my goodness! There's nothing like it. Yeah, that's really something. So, um, yeah, is we t you grew up in Buckinghamshire? Is that I, where? That's what a couple hours north of London. Yeah, I, I can't. I used to know. I can't remember. Um, it, it is. It's uh, Buckinghamshire. It's about 24 miles uh, outside of London. I grew up on a farm there. Brett, I'm just trying to find a plug that works to plug my phone in because for some reason I had a full battery, but doing this is just draining me so i'm gonna take you for a little walk uh, a minute while i try and find another adapter is that okay there might yeah there might be a little bit absolutely. of noise but um, i'm gonna do it before this dies yeah well i i i loved living in england that was right i marked the occasion 
by the music that was like I got there. It was just after Joy Division, right, and right before the Smiths, like that period in there. So like. The Cure was just coming on the scene, orchestral maneuvers in the dark, Echo and the Bunny Men. I mean, it was just really, really impressive. The every you know, the new Melody Maker and or right. new Musical Express and Melody Maker. We just get those hot off the press and see who was coming around. And Susie and the Banshees was we were in uh, Suffolk, but. Cambridge was only like 25 miles away yeah. at the A11 or A45, I forget. And, uh, you know, there was the place called the Trolley in Cambridge. Okay. And everybody would come through there. That was definitely Susie and the Banshees. was like the big, big ones. Colonel Gomez was another sort of this first generation of post-punk. Right. I mean, like Joy Division, they were contrary to punk because they were actual musicians. Right. And they, you know, it was quite a different experience. Complete. So it was interesting to see all these influences going through there. And you still had like, like, uh, I'm trying to remember, Jimmy Page played the Strawberry Festival there one year. Yeah. And Sid Barrett showed up. Right. And he was with his mom. He was kind of shuffling and he did not look good. And I remember thinking... This guy uh, had a sad go of it. I don't know. He did. I think he had schizophrenia or something. Yeah, right? he and, and and my father knew him, and um, he used to grow his fingernails out so long so that he wouldn't play. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, his fingernails were like talons. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know the full story, so I'd hate to uh, even um, try and explain it. But I, yeah, I think there were some mental issues, and but uh, it's very sad because um, what an unbelievable talent. Yeah, and what what he he spawned? Yeah, Pink Floyd is just we're still listening to that today, right? Really, the what came before that and what came after big difference. And Sid Barrett was right there yep. at the hinge of it, Absolutely. the hinge of that movement. So when when you came on the scene, what who were your like who caught your attention? Who oh, did you goodness. buy the records and? Well, you know what I. I my family is in the music business. Um, and, uh, so I grew up with music and, and in, in studios and, but my first, my first ever record was Eddie Cochran. And so mm-hmm. I grew up listening to, I mean, I grew up listening to, to a whole bunch of stuff around the house, but my choice was, um, the fifties. I just, I love yeah, the summer, summertime blues. Was that yeah. Eddie Cochran? Exactly. You know, any no cure for the summertime blues. Yeah, we, could, yeah. we could have that right now, right? Um, you know, so it was Buddy Holly, it was Sam Cooke, it was Ray Charles, it was Elvis, it was, uh, I mean, my well, one of my old time for Little Richard for me was just the end all and Beale, his voice, his piano playing, uh, Fat Storm, though. And so, you know, that's where I kind of started music. That's what I was listening to. And, and my brother was a big blues head and a jazz head. And um, so he'd be playing those kind of records upstairs and i'd listed those two and then then i started catching the the influences and so um my brother introduced me to blues um uh, and jazz and then you know i started my first band when i was 16 um and we, we started playing was it to get girls or because you really wanted to no music? it was all for girls of course oh my goodness <laughs> no. did you ever see that movie that irish movie sing street 
No, I haven't. It's really it's a very charming movie about these these uh, teenage boys in Dublin, and he sees a girl that he fancies. So he, of course, he starts a band to get her attention. Yeah, and uh, it worked. It works well. Yeah, I, I can honestly say it, it, it's. It, I'd be lying if it wasn't a bit of both. Um, I, won't, <laughs> I won't say which was the bigger percentage, but um, yeah. So I mean, I started playing music and then in a band, and then I got in, then I got introduced to Free and and uh, Led Zeppelin and Humble Pie and Leonard Skinner and oh, the Allman yeah. Brothers, and Graham Parsons. Things. Yep, and that and uh, and so all of those influences, and I, you know, on my phone, I think. Gosh, sixty percent is probably jazz, and the rest is blues and rock and roll, Americana, country. Um, so it's you know it's a, it's a hodgepodge, but it, it really is based around the roots. Uh, that's that's the easiest yeah. way to explain it. You know, it is it's everything from you know I, I think I've got every Django Reinhardt record there is. Um, Oh wow! You know, I can't even, he's one of my. Favorites. I can't even fathom that how he could be so amazing. Oh, the, just, you know what was he missing? Two fingers on his. Uh, uh, I think he it, his hand was burnt badly after trying to save his girlfriend from his burning caravan. I don't think he actually yeah, lost a finger. Gypsy, I think yeah. he they they were just unusable. So yeah, he used three fingers to play the way he did, which is. Uh, just ridiculous. So uh, when I'm in the Grove, I've got my phone in my back pocket. Most of the time, I listen to Django Reinhardt or, or the California Feet Warmers, um, and you know, I just love that kind of music. I, it just makes me happy. Yeah. And I know. I, I was listening. I don't even remember where it was. I came across the Carter family mm-hmm. doing can- Cannonball Run, right? And it was uh, it was the discussion was about protest music. And that was actually a protest song. It was about William McKinley was assassinated in the year 1900 or something. And the train went through some of these poor villages in the South as he was going to lay in state in Washington, D.C. And how people were just reflecting on the just the divides, the cultural right. divides in America and you know over 100 you know 120 years ago mm-hmm. not that the carter family was playing then this is more like the 1920s or something yeah but just like the innovations like you know they and they learned how to play themselves like my, uh sarah carter was a wonderful guitar player but she played the melody lines on the bass strings and the rhythm on the treble strings strings and it's just such a great sound you yeah. can't mistake it no completely. and that was just because nobody told her different oh well and that's the thing that was just it's, it is amazing um the innovation of, of some people's playing and, and uh you know my brother although he would he would confess to never being a guitar player the way he he did write songs uh the way he created chords because he wasn't taught how to the right figures for them he'd just come up with them himself it gave such a different tonal quality to the chord. You know, it's, it might've just been an A, but the way he figured it, it didn't sound just like yeah. an A, you know, and, and that's kind of, you know, similar to what you're saying, you know, with, with, with culture. Yeah. So when you say in the business, your father was in the business. Yeah. He, um, he used to be a rock and roll singer in the, in the sixties. Um, and oh, in my. fact, him, him and Jimmy Page used to, do the demos my dad was the singer jimmy page was the guitar player and they used to do the demos on in uh in tin pan alley in london um 
they would do the demo and then they would send that version to whoever the main star is that they wanted to to cover it to record yeah. the song oh, and then wow. through that he um he became a, a publisher he, he had a, a very successful publishing company called april blackwood music and um he published the likes of uh harry nelson louis armstrong aretha franklin james taylor um chicago oh now the uk or just the the publishing just the publishing worldwide or the um and so that's how we got wow. to meet those people and you know he was part of a record company for a long time too and then um so and then he then he got into management um you know he found uh him and his producer found sheena easton they they actually the ones that broke sheena easton oh, i remember her. i remember that bond song right bond for your eyes only song. yeah yeah. yeah, so I mean, so he's been a manager, he's, and he's he's managed uh, um, Ray Davis from the Kinks for the last you know twenty years, um, and and still, yeah, still managing. Yeah, well, trying to. Uh, the Kinks, you go back to like influences. Exactly. That was a confl confluence yeah. there. Yeah. That was a, uh, no incredible. a little bit of everything you can hear Absolutely there. Unbelievable. So he's yeah, he's been in the business a long time, um, and you know, my mother was an actress. That's how they met. She was on a on a, a series called Crossroads back in the sixties. Um, oh, so, wow. you know, yeah, we, we grew up in a, in a entertainment family, um, which has been amazing. Um, which I, yeah, really I just getting to meet all these people and to be around the arts yeah. and just have that appreciation for it. It must, must be now be an interesting perspective that you have on how things have changed because the artists have basically been, sequestered from their audiences mm -hmm. and vice versa and it just feels like wrong it just the cultural connections that go on through yeah. theater and music and everything else are just so fundamental and you know i've had i get you know this thing low level anxiety that i have and i think a lot of it is just not being out and around oh and i can believe it bumping up against people and just the casual connections Absolutely. it just like you don't know what's going on. It just makes you edgy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a you know cliche word, but you know you do feel very separate. Um, and it's so important. Humanity needs itself. <laughs> um, you know that human connection. Yeah. That you know, um, it, it is. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a very upsetting time that we're living through right now. But uh, I don't know. I think we have to figure yeah. it out. And, We'll, we'll, well get around it. we'll get I've been I've been listening to your songs. I mean, I've heard your songs for years, but just in preparation, doing a bit of homework, which is you know research. That's how I excuse all my my layaboutness. <laughs> you know, I'm doing doing research, but uh, I hear some influences in your music that I don't I like, and I'm I'm sure I might might be way off, but in your voice when you have that tremolo it reminds me of devendra banhart who i don't know if you're familiar with him and all these yeah you should check that out i think there's some vocal similarities there it's such a distinctive voice oh cool and you have oh, such, con such control over it that's uh you know he may be a more exaggerated styling right. than than what you have but you know, he's, he's great. He writes really wonderful oh, songs. And, check him out. Um, yeah, my, my, my vibrato yeah. early on was heavily influenced by... Uh, vibrato. Yeah, uh, it was um, yeah. Elvis Presley, obviously, but also um, 
uh, what Sam Cook and and uh, God uh, Marty Robbins, which was quite close to Elvis Presley, I suppose, in a way. Um, and yeah, oh. Jimmy Scott was. Uh, I mean, that's a really wide vibrato that he has, which I. I I love listening to him. It's almost yodeling. You know, it's, it's, it's borderline, it's borderline breath. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of my early, uh, I suppose, trials with vibrato and, until I until it felt natural, until it, you know, when you make something. Relevant. Yeah, well, the vocal control that you have to have to, to pull that off, it's impressive. No, I, 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 I can't. It's can good. I, I don't know. But uh, if it's working, it's working. <laughs> so that's a good thing. Yeah. Well done. So, um, what is the just the feeling when your community of artists like how? I mean, well, for one thing, I you know you and Danny have played together in a way that kind of defines the live music scene in Ohio for the last ten years or so. I don't know how long have you been. Um, we've been playing together for the last four. I've been playing here for five and a half years, I guess. Um. But you know, there's um, there are so many great artists in this town. There's so many great bands, um, and it it, it it is absolutely unfathomable right now um, the lack of beautiful noise and harmony that's that used to be on the street. You know, coming out of bars, out of places. Yeah, on a Saturday yeah. night, oh hi, this had a, almost a honky tonk. Yeah, feel you know, I it. mean. And there, there aren't that many venues in Ojai, but the venues that there are really care, you know. And so, it, it yeah, it, it is a very sad, you know. Ojai, Ojai. Well, still- it used to be be different. They still talk about Ojai back in the sixties. Only had like two thousand people, and it had like eleven or twelve places that were had yeah. live music every weekend. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, such such a key part of our cultural identity in this community is live music. It's, it's, uh, Very much yeah, so. I mean, I, I hope, you know, I think that my wife was telling me that, you know, I think in Ventura you can, they can have live music, but you've got to be 20 feet from the audience. You can only be acoustic. There can only be two of you and you can, you have to be from the same household. So go figure that one. Oh yeah. To be in a COVID you know I mean? bubble. The husband and wife it, teams like Tegan, Tegan and Sarah, son and mother or, or son and father. Uh, you know, it doesn't give you a huge amount of options. Um, you know, I'm not going to argue against it. It is what it is. So hopefully, the powers that be think that, that it's 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 right. But it's uh, yeah, and that we can get get out the other yeah, side of this. Um, but so yeah, for live music to come back. Uh, in fact, Danny just did a gig. He opened up for Three Dog Night down in Escondido. Um, and Tim Hutton, you know, who's a good friend oh, wow. in his garage right now doing this podcast because he's got signal. Um, so they did, they did uh, their first concert. They did it, you know, at a drive, a drive-in. Um, and they just said, you know, of course it was wonderful to play a gig, but the difference, uh, you're staring at cars that are honking at you in, in approval, but it, you know what I mean? I mean, it's just disgusting. That's an adjustment yeah, I well, can imagine. No, you're not seeing people dance. No feedback no from feedback. the audience. In the yeah, way exactly. You know, no one's writhing. You don't have a, 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 a sea of bodies in front of you jumping or moving or, you know, and that movement, even though you, you won't be able to see their eyes, you don't need to because you can you can see their bodies move and that electric the, reaction, the that energy. 
which wasn't there. So, yeah, I mean, of course they enjoyed the, they, they liked playing, but the reaction and, and just the experience itself was very, very different. Um, you know, which I don't know. I mean, I, I, do, do we have to get used to that? Is that the only way we're going to play from for now? I don't oh, know. I, you know, I, I see different, different plans well, and timeframes, I, yeah, but so. I think there's uh you know, a real compelling need for us to start, being together in public oh. spaces. What about uh, recording? How's the, the studio work going? Like, how does that work? I'm, I know Ojai is known for its studios, brother and well, studio. Well, we did, you know, with Danny Rose. There's some we did a live, places. We did a live stream there a couple about a month ago, um, which was great fun. At brother and studio. Now Carbonite Sound. Um, exactly. Carbonite Sound, yeah, I think with, I knew that. Uh, with, uh, with you know Jesse is no longer um, there. I mean he's he, he's there, but he's not. It's Jason Mariani um, and Dan Grimm. Um, oh. And so, uh, oh Dan yeah. Grimm, yeah, he's another one of those exactly. folk artists. Fantastic, who fantastic. Really, big big yeah, part of Jason Mariani is just an incredible talent, amazing produ uh, producer. So we did we did a stream. There. I think guys that go into the yeah the I th my take on studios, the guys that end up with the studios yeah. are the ones that are just you know, musical polymath. They can do Indeed. everything. They can pick up a ukulele or a keyboard or, you know, work the audio yeah, files. It's, and, it's definitely a I mean, the, the mixing boards. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it takes a particular, not just set, set of skills, yeah, well, but personality, to, I think. To, it's, I have to say that we all agreed when we did the record with Glenn that Glenn was the best, as it were, captain of a ship we've ever you know had the pleasure of being involved yeah. and as and as intimidated as you were with him uh, imagine what it would be like just for even somebody in the rolling stones or or the who to you know put themselves right. here they are you know global reach and they come into the studio and they have to take orders and they have to you know, his skills at managing the whole range of, of you know, genres it's, and personalities. It's a huge part of the job. It's, it's so impressive, know, it's, it's, yeah. It's an absolute must. If you can't get on with the room and, you know, translate what you're, what you're feeling or what you're thinking and, and be able to do it in a way that it doesn't upset the ego of some music, musician, then, you know, you're going to have a yeah. hard time. Um, you know, not to say that that doesn't happen you know um there's always going to be a bit of conflict but yeah working with him he's he's an absolute uh he's a, an amazing uh captain of of his ship of his of what he does yeah what is he up to now do you have he any idea is, like like well he few um along with my father they just put on um the peter green tribute it actually happened in uh in February, oh my! At the, uh, at the London Palladium, um, and so was yeah, Fle Fleetwood Mac. Did they, exactly. did they get together so, for that? So my father uh, manages Mick and, and put the show together, and so it was. You know, I, I won't get everybody, so but it doesn't mean that I don't love everybody that was involved. But I, I won't remember everyone. But it was yeah, it was Fleetwood. It was Mick Fleetwood. Uh, it was um, oh Jesus, really. It is uh, Steven Tyler. It was 
uh, Andy Fairweather Low, it was David Gilmore, um, who's the young, amazing blues guitar player, blonde head, Johnny Lane. Oh, um, uh, no, it was Johnny Clark. Stanley Clark. Is that a, no, I'm not thinking of Stanley Clark. It was Gary, Gary. Gary. No, it, it was Johnny Lang. Jo Johnny Lang was doing it. Uh, Bill okay. Wyman on bass. Uh, oh, God, and there's more. That I, and it's embarrassing that I'm not remembering the names. But uh, it, but it was a night wow, of rock and roll. Been, and it was honoring, so. honoring um, Peter Green and the songs that he wrote, because we forget how many great songs that he wrote. Um, and he was obviously the founding member of, of uh, Fleetwood Mac, but um, it was a great night. So Glenn, he he engineered it. He, um, you know, produced the night uh, sonically, and so he has been working on the actual live recording and creating um, a package, you know, a CD that so people can listen to that evening. Which and and very sadly, uh, what is what is it? Two no, three months after the fact, Peter Green passed away. You know, so it was. Um, yeah. Oh, John Mayle played. John Mayle was involved. Oh, yeah, and the exactly. Blues so it was a hell of a night. Um, so that's what Glenn's been doing. You know, he's the last time I spoke to him, he was working on that. Um, and we're also trying to figure out when we can get back in the studio and maybe cut a third record together. Oh, yeah. No, have the not yet. Or you figure you come together and then it just maybe, the magic happens. Maybe well, the I secret just sauce. My button actually write some songs, Brett. Um, you know, they're in my head. They're on my iPhone as, as roughs, but I haven't. I haven't. Uh, and what is your process? Oh, How? What is your it, songwriting it, it process? Differs, honestly, Brett. Uh, when I was younger, it was very much, you know, walking around and and uh, I, I, I've never been able to write in a quiet room. I have to have noise around me for some reason it makes me focus so um i would go out into wherever i was go for a walk whether it was a city or in the countryside and you know come up with an idea normally it started with a melody or I'd, or i'd come up with a phrase that i thought would work and it was either music first or, or lyric or sometimes it was it was so you're hearing it. You're yeah. hearing the tunes in your head. You're not picking them no. out, finding them. No, it's normally or it's, uh, it's pretty. I'd say ninety ninety five percent. It's in your head. Um, but it you know it. And does it? You're able to get those. Does it change from the translation from it, what you're it, hearing to what the audience hears? Is it like? Are you? I mean, that sounds like a, a gift. Well, a real I don't know. Gift. You know, I'm in your head, and you know, and then once once you're actually put it music musically together with an instrument, then things will, will change or differ. And, you know, I do a lot of when I'm writing, when I've figured out something that I think is, is worth completing, I will do a series of, of just demos into my phone and then I'll read and I'll listen to them. And, and then I'll think, yeah, exactly. See what works yeah. and what and works then, together. Know, well, I might go, Oh, hang on. And again, you know, you know, cause we're, a lot of us musicians in town are very close and, and, and we love what each other does. Um, we're fans of each other, you know, and so depending on where you are, what, you know, you might play something and someone will go, Hey God, you know, this could sound good. And then you go and you try it and you go, that does sound great. Or, you know what? Nah. So it all depends on the time, you know, it depends on, on, on where you are and, and what's going on. But, you know, recently I've found it difficult to write, um, I don't know whether it's, you know, the, the current issues that we're having globally. Um, 
but uh, I haven't really written anything for a, for a while. Uh, I know. I feel like all the excuses that I have given myself for years about, oh, if I only had time, all these masterpiece right. novels and plays and everything else that I would write. Oh, my goodness. Now that's now I know I was well, just yeah, BS exactly. And I, and I have just, to say, you know, I it's, it's an odd thing. Do I miss playing live? Absolutely. 100%. I, I, I absolutely miss it to my bones. But can I, in the last four months, I think I've picked up the guitar one time and I've played the piano maybe twice. Oh, wow. So, you know, it, it, I, it, there is no blame on anything on, on, on my part, but, uh, I, you know, it's me. It's, yeah. it's, I'm the only person. I think it's just this pervading dread. I think it just is getting us away from those tapping into those yeah, creative sources. So you know, I keep keep thinking maybe there's going to be all these COVID masterpieces, but I'm thinking that less and less. <laughs> well, normally, you know, great, a lot of great songs do come from, you know, hard times and terrible moments. I mean, that's why there's so, so many great Oh, yeah. I was told this story before. I won't. Uh, but uh, I rented this VHS to tell you how long ago. And it's the wrong tape in there. The one that was in there was a documentary about Professor August Theremin. And it was fascinating because he got snatched off the streets. You know, he did he did a lot of things, one of which was, you know, figuring out how to interfere with the radio waves to give them right. all this weird, spooky sounds. And and it was reunited with this lady who was the virtuoso on this device that he himself couldn't really play. He was a nuclear physicist. Soviets snatched him up to work on their <laughs> nuclear program in World War II. And then he was reunited 50 years later with this lady. But it was just great talking about, you know, the, the synthesizers uh -huh. and Moog and everything else that came out of the theremin. And then Brian Wilson shows uh, up in well, this yeah, documentary, which yeah. I was not expecting. And then he was talking about, um, exactly. you know, good vibrations that he was five years old and his parents uh, are having, you know, he's with his parents having dinner at this other couple's house and they had right. a theremin. And it scared him so bad that he oh, really? wetted the bed. And that song, that sound haunted him for years and years. And he said that was because of that theremin uh -huh. and that spooky sound that he was driven to write oh, you know, good vibrations, you know, like ec exercising the demons. My goodness. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if you've seen that. Movie, no, Love and Mercy, but that's one of my, my favorite right. movies of all time. I just... I think you would love it. It's got a lot of the studio stuff. You know, he worked with uh, wherever it was yeah. on Sunset with uh, Glenn, Glenn Camp. Yeah, what yeah, would the they call it? The Wrecking Crew. Yeah. yeah, it was great to, to see that those That was a great documentary, the, the Wrecking Crew documentary. Yeah, I saw that about the same time. I think it may have been why I went to see the documentary is watching their work in this, in this movie. It was kind of a strange film. But the music, oh, it was I'll a great it, out. it was just great. I mean, yeah, but everybody's got a different process for writing songs. And that yeah. fascinates yeah. me in itself. You know, some people start with like a mood or a snatch of a lyric or something. And then they start. But Brian Wilson, he just plinks yeah. away at the piano until exactly. something comes out of it. It doesn't, he doesn't have anything in his head or at mm -hmm. least not that he's conscious of. And then boom, he just like 
you get yes. these these melodies and then you just make some more i mean i don't know anybody oh, else sure, like that sure out there i'm sure there's a lot i'm sure there's a lot i mean the th- i mean my writing I, I was i was a lot more prolific writer when i was younger um and I, i've noticed you know as i've got older the, the i don't write as as much as i used to um but i still write in the well you got a family now yeah, you're a you family know, the, man the, the, that is true but um you know, I don't think that really gets in the way of anything. It's just, I, I it's, but it's also not, it, it's not something that I dwell on unless it's a conversation piece like we're having right now, you know, when, so when you're talking about that, that I suddenly go, oh, yeah. you know what? Yeah. It's, you know, I've noticed a change over the years. Um, having said that, you know, I, I it is bizarre because in the last three years, I've put out a record. I know I've put out a record of originals. No, what am I talking about? Two records. Um, done another blues record that's never been released, which is more for licensing and sync. So I wrote those songs. Um, and then I've actually written, um, very sadly, my brother passed away two years ago. Uh, so I've written oh. songs um, uh, about that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not that I haven't written um but it, it, it's it's come and gone and and I, I definitely write less than i used to when i was younger but yeah you'll get back at it i think it's like yeah. uh, cycles like everything else there's probably a lot of creative ferments going on in your subconscious that yeah you're scarcely aware of and then all of a sudden it'll just uh manifest like these great songs in there, Brett, other than dust <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Tim, I think we should wrap up here pretty soon. I don't know. Is there anything else I, I, that you I, I, I um, don't think want so. to talk um, about or anything? No, you know what? News? Uh, yeah, I, I would just say, uh, goodness, I hope everyone is. I hope everyone is doing okay out there. Um, I hope everyone is finding happiness and, and love. Yeah. And well, I think think they'll do do more okay if they listen to some of your uh, great bluesy songs, and <laughs> they can find them on Spotify iTunes, where any, do you, um, I should know this, I, do you I, have yeah, a, Well, actually, a yes, the, the, the Screaming John T.D. Lind uh, is, uh, we have a website, and it is sjtdl.com. So, Screaming John. S-J-T-D-L. And, uh, okay, yeah, I'll put that yeah, in the notes on the episode. And, uh, yeah, the songs are on spotify and itunes so you know I've, I've obviously had an independent career as td lind um and then the blue stuff is screaming john and td lind um but you can find it anywhere i hope you enjoy it um yeah and hopefully we'll um be able to, to oh, hear I you hope live so, before hope. too long and I hope uh, I hope there's a lot of pent up enthusiasm for you and your work, and you it get reconnected fun. with your audience. And I'm sure they're out there. Yeah, they're I, out I, there. I, I like to think so, you. and I can't wait to to be there for them. It'll be it'll be a, it'll be a fun time when we do. I tell you that. Well, great. Yeah, great talking with you. We'll uh, hopefully Absolutely. see you around great campus pleasure. before Have too long. Have a great rest of your day, and uh, I'm sure I'll see you soon. I hope. All right, take it easy. Bye. All right, Tim. Just thinking out loud. About five years after Napster and Pirate Bay emerged in the late 1990s, 
the music business entered into a precipitous decline that has left many talented artists unable to make a living doing what they and their audiences love. Now, thanks to the pandemic, artists are having an even harder time of it by being unable to enjoy the most joyful part of making music, engaging with their audiences. What's to come of it all, I have not the slightest idea. All I know is the relationship between artists and their audiences is one of the most sacred and dear to our civilization. What is lost when we can't connect to each other is immeasurable. That's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. Thanks for listening, and we'll keep an ear out for you.